0: Welcome to the Mahogany Tower, where we talk about faith, we talk about science, and we talk about sociocultural identity, not necessarily in that order. Um, so I wanted to chop it up with you guys about something, I um, don't oh know, I've been thinking about it for a while, it's just been, it's its taken me a little bit to synthesize my thoughts because that's, that's something that happens, but um, I wanted to chop it up today about um, being a black sheep. Um, so people are different, right? There are 8 billion people in the world today, and as many as 100 billion that have ever existed. And no two people are identical. But one cool thing about humanity is that in spite of all of our differences, we do share certain similarities. We share certain needs. Needs are not suggestions. Needs are not recommendations. Needs are things that we require. Scientists have called these needs human motives because they're so central to understanding and explaining human behavior. These human motives are so strong that when they aren't met, our health starts to atrophy. Our health literally starts to decline because we have important and basic human needs that aren't being met. Now, there are a number of human motives, but as a social scientist, I tend to take a lot more interest in the social and the psychological ones. Now, I'll focus on two here. In the late 90s, uh, social psychologists started to give more attention to a framework for human behavior known as optimal distinctiveness theory so that's odt optimal distinctiveness theory that's a mouthful so i'm probably just going to call it odt from uh here on out now this work was largely pioneered by a social psychologist known as marilyn brewer and she was trying to make sense of a paradox Now her theory on optimal distinctiveness focused on two human motives, affiliation and distinctiveness. The issue is those human motives don't go super well together. Affiliation is exactly what it sounds like. We have a fundamental human need to establish human relationships and connect with others so that we feel a sense of community, and we feel like we belong. Now when we don't have that opportunity to affiliate, or when we feel like we don't belong, or when our social relationships suffer, our health starts to decline. And there's research evidence to support that. As I've stated elsewhere, contrary to the popular lone wolf or lone ranger metaphor, Humans need social interaction to survive. We need to affiliate. We need relationships. We need to feel accepted. And we need to feel like we belong. But we also have this other human motive, distinctiveness, wherein throughout our lives, we strive to be distinct from other people. I mean, think about it, right? Nobody goes through life saying, I want to be identical in every way to the other 8 billion people on the face of the planet. That would be weird, right? I mean, in fact, that would probably be like, I don't know, maybe like a personality disorder or something like that. Instead, we want to have some level of uniqueness, Now, fortunately, this this isn't an insurmountable task. Who we are is a complex array of all the things that are reflected through our very existence. Our ideas, our attitudes, our personality, our hobbies, our taste in music, our uh, career aspirations, our religion, our experiences, our everything. So we already are different. Distinctiveness is merely about expressing that so it's explicit, easily observable, and so that it's known to others. And much like affiliation, people have to satisfy their need for distinctiveness. We need to be able to express who we are. And when we don't, our health begins to atrophy. And again, there's research evidence that overwhelmingly supports that idea. We need to feel like we're being true to ourselves. Now, optimal distinctiveness theory, ODT, has proven most useful as a theory to understand behavior within groups, as this is a setting where the motives for affiliation and distinctiveness may be particularly in conflict. So maybe I'll uh, try and illustrate with an example. Let's say you work at an accounting firm with other finance and accounting professionals. Obviously, this is a professional setting, so you try and do your best to fit in so you won't be excluded. But sometimes you do and say things just to fit in and you, and you end up feeling like you're not actually being true to yourself. And when you are true to yourself and you say and do things to reflect that, you notice you get weird looks sometimes. I mean, it doesn't sound fun, right? But this kind of thing is all too common. Not surprisingly, this theory, ODT, can be used to understand behavior in all kinds of groups. A group of friends, a nuclear or extended family, a work team, classmates at a school or or college or university sports teams literally any kind of group you want across the board we face these competing needs of affiliating or assimilating so we feel like we belong and being our true and authentic selves so we feel unique as you would imagine In most situations and groups, we strike a balance between these two needs. We decide how much we'll assimilate while also trying to be true to who we are. We do desire to be seen as a member of the group, but we also want to be our authentic selves. This is natural, healthy, and completely to be expected but here's where things get interesting. Because we know affiliation and distinctiveness are fundamental human motives, we can use this to better understand how to build inclusive spaces so people get their needs met. We know that people desire to feel like they belong and connect with others. We also know that people desire to be authentic, distinct, And true to themselves. So, inclusive spaces, therefore, are places where people feel like they can connect and belong to others without sacrificing who they are as a person for the sake of being accepted. That's what we learned from ODT. That's what we learned from optimal distinctiveness theory, right? Like, people desire to be in spaces where they can connect and belong without sacrificing who they are as a person for the sake of being accepted. That's what we get from ODT. Isn't science super cool? Now, I've been thinking about this a lot (laughs) in the context of Christianity because I don't really think we do this super well. And if you follow my work, if you follow the podcast or the blog, you know, however you you know, consume the information, you, you, you know, you interact with the artistry, uh, you probably notice that I make this point again and again and again and again and again, and, again, and you know, I'll make this point yet again here today, and I'll use ODT, I'll use optimal distinctiveness theory as a way of illustrating that a bit. And we can do that because churches represent communities of people, so ODT is a useful framework to make sense of um, some patterns of human behavior. When you become a part of a group, any group, there's an expectation to conform to norms. That's true for churches, just like it's true for fraternities and sororities, just like it's true for tech companies in Silicon Valley, right, groups have norms And you're encouraged to follow them. That's why they're called norms. But in the case of religion, these norms are frequently reflected in the form of religious views. And religious adherents, right? So followers of these religions are expected to have attitudes and behaviors that reflect that. I mean, that's I mean, I think that's a fair expectation. We expect you to show compassion for the poor and the needy. We expect you to be abstinent until marriage. That means people who are not married shouldn't be sexually active. We expect you to honor your parents. We expect you to forgive other people because we know that God forgave you. You get the idea. This isn't specific to Christianity. Every religious group has norms reflected in religious beliefs uh, that members are expected to follow. I mean, that's one of the things that makes a religion a religion versus just being a book club. In a religion, you're kind of expected to follow and adhere to the religious views. Like, that's a reasonable expectation. That's why that's why they're called religions. But I'm a bit concerned and have been for some time, to be completely honest. I think I'm concerned because... Um, Although we generally have good intentions, some of these expectations are starting to backfire in really um, spectacular ways. Now, one implication of that, I think, is that even though we like to tell people that Christianity is for all people, I mean, realistically, we have congregations that are intended for a subset of people that are willing to follow specific norms. And sure, other people can attend, but our churches are kind of oriented and intended for a subset of people that are willing to follow and conform to specific norms. I'll illustrate with an example that I've used previously, but you could do a similar exercise for any identity that you think is fitting i am a black christian scientist it's a very complex identity for me to understand and i don't think i ever really will completely wrap my head around it um i think it'll probably be a lifelong journey but i think so much of who i am is reflected in that i am a black christian scientist it's interesting though because In my experience, American Christianity doesn't really want to engage with my blackness. And American Christianity doesn't seem to care to engage with me as a scientist, either. What that means practically, in my case, is I feel pressure to leave those identities, important identities, at the door when I come to church. Because I feel like they won't be accepted. What's really interesting about that is, someone who's been a Christian for, I guess, what, 10 years at this point, and also somebody who's grown up in church all of his life, I know what needs to be done in order to be accepted, right? I'm very familiar with this setting, I'm very familiar with this script, so to speak. I know what I need to do in order to be accepted. All I have to do is suppress my black identity and or suppress my scientist identity. And if I do those things, assimilation and belonging become really easy. Then the only parts that are left for me are the parts that are really easy for the church to accept. The parts that are really easy for the church to engage with. The blackness and the science, though, eh, they're kind of iffy about that. But here's my thesis. You can't have an inclusive congregation if you're not willing to accept your members in their totality. In the case of American Christianity, I fear there's a lot more emphasis on conforming and assimilating than being the men um, and women that God has called for us to be, in full. I'll illustrate using my example, starting with the blackness. But I've made these points a number of times previously, so I'll only mention this in passing before you know hitting on the science piece, which I think is a little bit more interesting. I think the last... 18 months or so in the United States are a perfect example of what's been said in various ways for a long, long time. There are two Americas. There's the America where you fear for your life if you ever run in with law enforcement. And there's the America where police brutality doesn't even exist, you know. There's the America where people tell you your hair is unprofessional because of how it naturally grows out of your scalp. And there's the America where I don't see race, right? There's the America where storming the United States Capitol is an act of insurrection. And there's the America where storming the United States Capitol is an act of patriotism. There's the America where Black History Month is an opportunity for you to learn things that you may not otherwise learn the other 11 months of the year, because American history is super whitewashed. And there's the America where Black History Month is black people trying to make white people feel bad about slavery. There's the America where the country's brightest days are in the future. And there's the America where the country's brightest days are in the past. Right? There's the America where diversity is a signature staple that makes this country unique and special. And there's the America where diversity is something, you know, it's an inconvenient burden expected of white people because of black people. I mean, you get the picture. We can literally do this all day. Not even kidding. Um, what we don't talk about enough, um, or at least as much, I don't think we talk about it enough. What we don't talk about enough is because America is a tale of two cities, Christianity in America is a tale of two churches. I want to be clear. I take zero delight in saying that. I It it, it gives me no pleasure to say those words but i don't think it's false and i don't say that to spur division in any way shape or form i say that to illustrate a point black christians and white christians in america live in two different worlds even if we attend the same congregations to say anything otherwise to me would fall far short of the reality of race relations in this country and i think frequently Because we live in two different worlds, we can perceive the same church very, very differently. So as you share your platitudes about how diverse and progressive and inclusive the congregation is, you know, there's a chance I don't necessarily share those views. Um, If I'm honest... There's a lot of evidence that white Americans aren't great at identifying prejudice and racism when they see it. Like there's research studies that show, if I'm being honest, white people don't excel at recognizing racism and discrimination, even when it's right there in front of them. Right. That's how they kind of test these things experimentally. So it's not really surprising that we may differ in how we perceive the diversity climate of a congregation. To me, it makes perfect sense. And it's interesting because the more I hear those diversity platitudes, you know, about, you know, churches and congregations, the more I can feel weird for not sharing those sentiments, Um, or at least many of them, some of them, but, you know, a lot of them I don't really share. It's almost like I can feel that there's something wrong with me. Because I don't really feel the same way about the congregation that my white brothers and sisters in Christ do. It's a genuine black sheep phenomenon. It's a play on words, right? <laughs> I'm part of the flock, right? We see that, you know, imagery and and, and that language used in the New Testament. Jesus You know, in the book of John, John chapter 10 verses 11 through 16, as well as John chapter 21 verses 15, we see Jesus describe the people of God with this language uh, of them being, you know, sheep and them being part of the flock. So as a Christian, I'm part of the flock, but I'm also black, right? So I'm a black sheep. And yes, that influences my experiences at church. As much as churches seem disinterested in engaging with Blackness, I don't think you'll have much success building inclusive churches if you have great difficulty accepting people in their entirety versus just the aspects of them that are most convenient um, for you to work with. One of the really key features of Blackness, um, at least in the U.S., Well, most Western nations, really. One of the really key features of blackness is the looming possibility of threat. And it can emerge at any given moment, right? People in America are threatened simply by the existence of black people. I mean, true story. They'll literally call the police on us because we look suspicious, or grilling in a park or walking down the street or taking a jog in our neighborhood or using our keys to get into our apartment or open up our house people will literally call the police on us just for existing it's an interesting experience so black people like other minority groups seek cues in our environment that signal that we're in a safe space These are called um, identity safety cues or diversity cues, depending on the situation. And there's lots of research on this. In fact, I do some research on this. So I'm super, you know, interested in this topic. So for an example, right? Gay people don't just walk around telling the world that they're gay. Because something bad could happen to them, right? Somebody might beat them up or throw a brick through their car window or make a mean joke, and so on and so forth. In a similar way, when you're black, you don't just walk around flaunting your blackness. Something bad could happen to you. One of the things you do is you look for cues in your environment that signal that you're in a safe space and you'll be accepted for who you are. Um, Something along the lines of, you don't have to worry about being mistreated here. Now, it's sad, Because when churches show an unwillingness to engage with blackness, lots of black people interpret that as, you need to be someone else in order to exist here. Right? Like, that's the message that they get from the church. When a church is unwilling to engage with blackness, the message a lot of black, you know, Christians more or less get from that is, I need to be someone else in order to exist here. Like, that's what you're saying to me. Now, sure... I mean, churches didn't say that explicitly. Um, But that's kind of what signals are for. You send a message without actually sending a message. Um, That's why language is really important. Um, So there you have it. I'm a black sheep, you know, black Christian, part of the flock. God loves me. I'm in this world. I'm in the United States just trying to figure out this crazy thing called life. Um, now let's talk about this science thing, because that's part of my black sheep experience too. It's also something I'm a little bit more interested in because I talk about blackness all the time, but let's talk about this, this science piece. I'm a black Christian scientist and periodically I can feel out of place in the church as a scientist as well. I think one of the big reasons why is sometimes we... Um, In the church, we try and rationalize or explain things that we see in the Bible. But sometimes we use explanations. Sometimes we use explanations that don't really mesh well with science. Like, at all. Um, I'll give you an example. A common one, um, I should add. But keep in mind... It's just an example for illustrative purposes. So we could say something along the lines of, don't have sex before marriage because if you do, X, Y, and Z will happen. To me, it would be way easier, way easier, and more straightforward to say, don't have sex before marriage because the Bible says that isn't pleasing to God. And that's 100% true. Like in the Bible, it does say like, this is not, if you live like this, it's not pleasing to God. If you live like this, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. There's scripture after scripture after scripture. That's very clear in saying this behavior, this lifestyle is not glorifying to God, right? That's 100% true. Like that's what the Bible says. It could really be that simple. That's not a scientific argument and it also doesn't need to be a scientific argument because you're making a statement about a religious text and what it says about a particular topic. It's very straightforward. Um, Instead, we make these arguments, you know, about sex that sound really good, but sometimes there's a lot of scientific research that says like the exact opposite, right? And I love illustrating this point with topics like sex or sexuality or sexual orientation or gender or race or discrimination, because these are all topics where the church has opinions and has been quite vocal about them. These are all topics also where we have decades of scientific research by brilliant minds around the world. And sometimes that research doesn't really support the point um, that, you know, churches sometimes are trying to make. Just keep it really simple and stick to the Bible. Here's why I say that. I'm a scientist and I read a lot and I study a lot and I work really hard to be in this profession. What we do is we investigate research questions that enrich our understanding of the world. And we work together as experts to do that. As we, you know, as we learn exciting new things, we share what we know with the world. That's why most research happens at universities. Universities are places of learning and discovery. So as scientists learn new things, they publish a research paper or they write a book book that book could be a textbook or it could be a book for the general public on you know sex or sexuality or race or history or whatever um you know you could also update your course material or you could design a new course entirely based on some of the new things you're learning based on your research and so on and so forth it's so much easier to say live this lifestyle because the Bible says it's pleasing to God, right? So in the context of our sex example, it would be wait until marriage because the Bible says that's pleasing to God. But a lot of times we want our ideas and opinions to carry more weight. We wanna be more influential. So we come up with some logic concerning all the good things that come from waiting and or the bad things that come from not waiting. But that's a slippery slope. Because now you're talking about science. Science is literally variable X is associated with variable Z, and the relationship that explains them is variable Y, and we find evidence in support of this, right? X leads to Y, Y leads to Z, or however I said it. So... You know, these, these propositions that you're making about these things, now you're talking about science. And if you're saying things that aren't consistent with what people who are experts in their field of study think, or even scientific claims that we know are just flat out wrong, that's called misinformation. And we need to be really, really careful with that. And if I'm honest, in those moments, it can seem like you're more interested in influencing and controlling behavior than you are in just being honest with people. Now, I want to be clear. There are lots of people who don't feel religion and science go together, but I'm not necessarily one of those people. Like I said, I am a Christian scientist. So I believe that Christianity and science can coexist, and I even think there are lots of times where they complement each other in cool ways. Although I also realize that's not always the case. But if I'm honest, I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of scientists don't really look favorably on Christianity. I mean, people devote their careers to developing their expertise in a field and sharing things that they feel help people to enrich their daily lives. So it can seem undermining and unflattering when we share things at church that are just flat out misleading, if not outright incorrect. So yes, as a scientist, I can wrestle with that. I mean, church is a relatively controlled environment, and it can seem there's some interest in influencing or controlling behavior more interest in influencing or controlling behavior than there is in telling people the truth about sex or sexuality or race or race relations or history or gender or whatever and to me at times it can very much come off as disingenuous right um i want to be clear this is something that every christian should care about Because what inevitably happens is 10, 15, 20 years down the road, people, Christian and otherwise, discover that they learned a lot of things at church that weren't entirely true. Or the church withheld information from them because they didn't really want to engage with that information. And people get really upset about that because they feel like they've been misled or lied to. And sometimes it really messes with their faith. So yeah, I think this is something that every Christian needs to care about. And when you have scientists that are in your congregations, you should probably be trying to leverage that expertise rather than avoiding engaging with it because you find it inconvenient. So black Christian scientists... I know that I have beliefs that are really different than a lot of people I go to church with (laughs) for lots of reasons because a lot of the people I go to church with aren't black and a lot of the people I go to church with, most of them, aren't scientists. So I'm not ignorant to the fact that a lot of my views are really different than many of the people I go to church with. Yes, I am a black sheep for more reasons than one, but I think over the last year or so, And I'm bringing in in for a landing. I think in the last year or so, I've really learned to lean into that, right? I think the big reason why is I'm of the school of thought that church is a place where lots of people um, wrestle with pressure to conform and be something that they're not. I mean, people are saying and doing things that they don't even believe in simply because they don't want to be judged for not doing them. To me, that is no way to live your faith, right? And we won't build inclusive churches by only accepting the aspects of people that are easiest for the church to engage with. You have to accept the whole person. That doesn't necessarily mean you compromise on your religious beliefs, but... You have to create an environment where people can be who they think God called for them to be. The whole person, all of them, right? That's great for them. And it's great for the church. Everybody wins. I think because of that, I've been really interested in being myself, but also doing so in a very visible and vocal way. Um, It works a little something like this. Groups vary concerning how strong the norms are. When norms are really strict, that means norms are tight. When norms are relaxed, that means norms are loose. When norms are tight, people conform and assimilate way more because being yourself is risky. It could result in rejection, right? So think about an interview. People do and say certain things in an interview because being yourself is risky, (laughs) which sounds really bad to say, but like, I think it kind of illustrates my point. People do and say all these things in interviews because they know there's a very kind of tight set of norms that I'm expected to conform to. On the other hand, when norms are loose, people don't feel as much pressure to conform or assimilate because being yourself isn't as risky. You don't have to worry as much about rejection. So you can think about a game night with your friends or, you know, your family, like you're not really um, worried about conforming or assimilating because these are people that you don't really worry as much about getting rejected by because you know it's a it's a it's an environment that has a looser set of norms. Now every moment at church or as a Christian, when I'm not being myself, I'm contributing to really tight norms. Literally, when I choose not to be myself as a Christian. I make a bad situation worse because I'm creating more pressure to conform by choosing not to be myself. The norms for behavior become really tight. And when norms are tight, that means other people conform too because they don't see anyone deviating from the norm. It's riskier to be yourself and it's riskier to be different. So the cycle perpetuates course the other thing that happens is people outside the church see that the norms are really tight and they may uh feel they won't be accepted that they can't be themselves you know etc um so not only does this affect the inner workings of the church but it also probably affects people's interest in becoming a part of the church as well On the other hand, when I choose not to assimilate, instead opting to be my authentic self, I'm being the change that I wanna see. I'm helping the church learn to accept the whole person. Now in my case, that means being more inclusive of both blackness and science, which I think helps the church to be so much better. Is it uncomfortable for me on some level? Sure it is. Can it be scary? Yes. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely, I do. Uh, But I believe that God called for me to be a Christian while still being true to the depth and the breadth of the person he created for me to be. I mean, how you feel about that is, I mean, it's up to you. Anyway, um, talk to me about being a black sheep at church. Talk to me about optimal distinctiveness theory. Um, Talk to me about the need to assimilate and affiliate and the need to be distinctive and unique and be true to yourself. Um, Just some more random thoughts, right?